0: Hello, and welcome to St. Bart's first-ever coronavirus virtual sermon audio. We're so glad that you have joined us tonight via the interweb. And just a few announcements before I get into my homily. Um, So just as a reminder, tonight, March 15th, and next Sunday, March 22nd, church is canceled so that we can do our part to help prevent the spread of COVID-19 so do please be safe whatever you're doing disinfect wash your hands don't get together in large groups make wise decisions just to protect those around you Um, and though this is inconvenient for us and though we miss seeing each other in the flesh this really is a wonderful opportunity to take ownership of our own home worship so if you have a family or roommates or even if you live alone this is a great way to have a regular or to begin to have a regular rhythm of worship and prayer um, on your own. So maybe maybe you designate a little spot in your house and where you, you know, have your Bible and your prayer book or a candle or an icon or something where you can kind of regularly go to. Um, for ages, the church has recognized that the household is really sort of the basic unit of the church or the little church, in other words. So we're going to take advantage at St. Bart's to emphasize that and just to to pray together as we can in our households. So one more bit of instruction. Uh, Today's sermon is meant to be listened to while you're um, using the liturgy, if you will. So we have posted the liturgy PDF link on our updates page. That link should be right next to this link. Uh, for the sermon audio. So if you haven't gone through the liturgy, you know, said the Ten Commandments, confession, read the lessons, all that stuff, why don't you pause your audio right now and do that? And that would be wonderful. We don't want this sermon to be out of context uh, with the scriptures that the Lord has given us today. So I think those are all the announcements. I'm just so giddy uh, to be talking to you now, and I hope you're all doing well. So now we'll begin with our sermon. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. In Gedi is a place in Israel right next to the Dead Sea. Now, you probably know the Dead Sea is called dead not because it's so dope or sick, but the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it, the salt content is in it, it is so high that nothing can live there. So the Dead Sea is probably the opposite of what you and I would call living water. Living water just meaning running water. But if you go to a certain point along the road next to the Dead Sea, you'll see a turnoff and you, you see all these green trees. Now nothing else around it is green except kind of in this line following a little stream, and you find a place called Gedi. This is a place where David and his mighty men found water to refresh themselves while they were on the run. And this is a place where a spring of fresh water bursts forth from the ground. It's really amazing. There's There are beautiful waterfalls. You can hike up in it. And being around in the environs of the Dead Sea in the rocky wilderness out there, when you see the trees and the water and the greenery all you want to do is get in it and swim in it and drink it, though you probably shouldn't drink it, because who knows what's happening there, especially since we're observing our corona-aware practices. But in Getty is a great example of living water. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, you probably remember that from our lessons, there are a lot of instances of water, especially about God providing water, whether it's Jesus providing water for the Samaritan woman or we explaining to her what living water is. Or, or we'll look first in the book of Exodus. So that's in your bulletin if you want to look there. Exodus 17. The people of Israel are in the wilderness. And they have moved out of the wilderness of Sin. And they moved into an area called Rephidim. And they realize that they need water. And I don't blame them. They're scared. They're angry. They're wondering, what has Moses done to us? Is he really that competent of a leader? Is there somebody else that can help us? And they contentiously cry out to Moses. Did you bring us out here just to kill us, Moses? And so notice what Moses does. Moses gives us an example of a good leader. This is just a little sidebar. Moses goes to God. And I'm sure he consulted with other leaders, probably with Aaron. But he goes to God and says, Lord, (laughs) it's in verse 4. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version uh, today. Actually, my Old Testament is the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. And my New Testament will be New King James. So it'll be slightly different from your ESV in the bulletin. But Moses cries out in verse 4 to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're about to stone me. So God gives Moses instructions. He says, I want you to go before the people. I want you to take your staff, the same staff that you struck the river. What was the river? The river was the Nile River. He also used that staff to strike the Red Sea where the Lord parted it. The Lord caused the Nile River to turn to blood back in Egypt. That was part of his plagues to deliver them from Egypt. And he says, take the staff and I'll stand before you on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it so the people may drink. So despite their contention, despite their, quote, temptation of God and abuse of Moses, because Moses, it says, renamed that place in verse 7, temptation and abuse. And again, that's coming from my Septuagint version of the Old Testament. Despite them being really basically untrusting of God and of his leader, Moses, God provides a miracle. And in a mystery, this rock... Pours forth water like a fountain. So we see that this is a lot like our sacraments. The bread and the wine, when consecrated, when shared together in the midst of the people of God, where the Word of God, the Gospel of our Lord is read, when that bread and wine is consecrated, it is to us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It does not cease to be bread and wine, but it is simultaneously in a mystery, a sacrament both bread and wine and body and blood. And here we see a sacrament. And we, we find out later in First Corinthians 10 that St. Paul says, well, that rock was Christ. The rock was the unoriginate, only begotten Son of God who had no beginning and who followed the people of Israel in the wilderness and who provided for them living water so that they could live and it reminds me so much of ingeti because the water just springs up out of the ground and it's beautiful and it gives life now lent can be a little bit like a self-imposed wilderness especially when coronavirus is involved in all seriousness we're a little bit isolated right now aren't we we're cut off from each other for the good of the whole and we know that that taking these good precautions will help break the the growth curve of the virus, if you will. But nevertheless, we we can't deny that we feel isolated, perhaps. But Lent is a self-imposed wilderness where we find out what we normally rely on for nourishment, what we normally rely on to give us strength. That's why, especially in this season, where we're not having worship for at least these two Sundays, we can take ownership of our personal in household rhythms of prayer and worship. But I want you to think about in this Lent, no matter what you're doing or what you're not doing, that doesn't really matter, but think about, are you asking God for provision? Are you asking Him in a way in which to tempt Him, maybe like the people of Israel? Or are you asking Him in goodwill, with faith, knowing that He is, as Psalm 95 says, our shepherd, the one who leads us even in these confusing and difficult and trying seasons. And I hope you noticed Psalm 95. I hope it struck a chord in you because it it refers directly to Exodus 17. But not only that, Psalm 95 is really important for us as Anglicans. Psalm 95 is the psalm that we say every single day in morning prayer. Come, let us worship and fall down before the Lord our God. Let us kneel and come before him with shouts of songs and psalms. It's a beautiful way to enter into worship. And isn't it interesting that it begins with an invitation. It continues with reminding us of what God has done. The heights of the hills are his. The depths of the earth are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. For his hands have molded the dry land. We see all these amazing and great things God has done. And then we're reminded, but do not be like those people in that day of temptation and abuse at Meribah and Massah, those Hebrew words. Do not be like them who tempted God, but listen today if you hear his voice, hearken to his words. You know, the people of Israel could have done worse than being abusive to Moses and tempting God. They could have made an idol because we see a few chapters later in the book of Exodus while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments which you said earlier in your liturgy receiving the law in the presence of Almighty God on the top of this mountain that is thundering and quaking a mountain which the people of Israel nor any of their animals are allowed to touch or go on while he's up there Aaron and the people of Israel are busy making a golden calf, an idol In the wilderness, when we don't wait on the Lord and trust him for our provision, when we don't trust that he can make water come out of a rock, we will be tempted to make idols. And so often in the life of Israel, especially when they began to worship Baal or Baal, for those of you who are attuned to the correct pronunciation of Semitic gods of the late Bronze Age, So often in the worship of idols in Israel's life was involved a sexual brokenness. So the worship of Baal involved sexual immorality with uh, cult or temple prostitutes. And we hear a similar sentiment coming from St. Paul warning us. It's proclaiming the goodness and the power of the gospel. So the power of the gospel can set us free from depending upon idols. The power of the gospel gives us everlasting life because it's the gospel that Jesus proclaims. It's the gospel of the water from the rock. It's the gospel of the sacraments where Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. Take, eat in remembrance of me. It's the gospel that sets us free from every sin and hindrance and thing that Satan would have us be captured by, would have us be broken by and it is interesting that St. Paul talks about trading the, the creator trading the worship of him for the worship of created things and images made in the likeness of created things and then he goes on to talk about sexual brokenness again with idolatry we know that there's nothing new under the sun so Israel struggled when they struggled with idolatry they struggled with sexual brokenness And all of us have been affected in some way by sexual brokenness. And so we bear that in mind. And as we walk this wilderness journey, not just of Lent, but of this life, we do right to take that brokenness to the Lord, to offer it to him, and to trust him and his provision with it. Lastly, John 4, we have another interesting moment, speaking of social distancing where Jesus finds himself in a town of Samaria. Now, Jews didn't go to Samaria. If you were a good Jew, you knew not to go there. But Jesus is there because he's not just a good Jew. He's the Son of God. And he's proclaiming this same gospel that is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, so that he can proclaim freedom to the captives, release from prison for those who have been caught up in the enemy's schemes. And he's there in a the town of Samaria and he goes to a well. It's Jacob's well. Here we go, we have water again. And he's there at the sixth hour. Now, you and I probably don't understand this, but the sixth hour is the time when normal people didn't go to the well. The sixth hour is noon. And in a desert climate, where this town Sikhar would be, that was the heat of the day. And so we know that Jesus, going to the well at the sixth hour, knew that he might encounter people who were accustomed to having social distancing strategies put upon them. People that probably weren't the the best or the brightest, or maybe people like St. Matthew described who are blessed in Jesus' reckoning, the poor in spirit the broken, those who are mourning, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So this woman that Jesus encounters at the well is someone who is used to being ignored, someone who is used to being overlooked and forgotten. And Jesus gets into another one of these enigmatic conversations. Now last week we talked about Nicodemus and Nicodemus has some serious questions for Jesus, but we know that he's kind of groping. He's kind of looking and he's not quite sure what to do because he comes to Jesus by night. And here we have this woman who encounters Jesus in the middle of the day. And Jesus comes to her and tells her just outright that if she knew who she was asking to draw water from this well, then she would ask him, and he would give her living water. But notice that that living water comes on Jesus' terms. Because as soon as Jesus gets there, he speaks to her about a, a place of brokenness in her life. And it just happens to be a place of sexual brokenness. As he says, go and call your husband. Now, if anyone can judge us, we know it's the good and righteous judge, Jesus. But we also have a mind to see, especially because we know the end of this story, that when Jesus told her to go and call her husband, he wasn't putting her down, but he was engaging her and inviting her into relationship. And he says, You've spoken well. I know that you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had four or five. Let's see, there in verse 18 of chapter 4 of John For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband and that you spoke truly. And the woman realizes that Jesus is not just an ordinary dude. He is a prophet. And she she acknowledges that. And she goes from practical speak of give me water and I don't have a husband to, well, our fathers say we worship here, but you say we worship there. You see the Samaritans, they had an alternative tradition. They were Separated from the people of Israel in the sense that they believe the proper place to worship God was Mount Gerizim, whereas Israel held that the proper place to worship God was the temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount in Zion. And Jesus, doing another enigmatic Jesus thing, so he's the one offering her living water, says, I tell you truly that there is coming a time and the time is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Isn't that interesting? That closely related to this notion of provision, closely related to these notes of brokenness, brokenness of any kind, but this particular example happens to be sexual brokenness, closely related to that is worship. It's worship of God the Father in spirit and truth. Can you hear the overtones of the Trinity there? Can you hear Jesus' invitation to the woman? This woman who is an outcast, this woman who would only go to the well at the sixth hour of the day. This woman who probably was covered in shame, he invites her into what? He doesn't condemn her. He invites her into a relationship of worship. The hour in coming, is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, she's still not quite sure, but I think she's getting closer to understanding who Jesus is, which is interesting. Nicodemus, we kind of feel, we're not sure where he landed. But this woman, this outcast, This one who's been overlooked and forgotten, she moves the conversation to this, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus takes a final moment of revelation to say, I who speak to you, am he. Hmm. Journeying in the wilderness, in the heat of the day, this woman who's overlooked and forgotten Here's Jesus say, I am the Messiah. I've encountered you. I invite you into a relationship of worship in spirit and truth. I invite you into this life of the Trinity. Now, we've talked about a lot of things, living water flowing from the rock, the sacramental nature of God's provision for us. And we see a tangible example of God in Christ, providing for this woman who didn't know her right hand from her left, an encounter with the Messiah, God's anointed one, offering her living water. Now, as we close, I want, I want you to do something. Put yourself, and let's put ourselves in the place of the Samaritan woman. Maybe you want to close your eyes. And maybe this is a, a little exercise you can do throughout the week. As you have your own time of worship and prayer as a little church or even individually. But picture yourself in front of Jesus. You're having an encounter with him and he can see you. And it's not just like he sees you, like, oh, I see that you're wearing that shirt and your hair is looking nice and fixed. No. He sees you. It's like that prayer that we pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That's the way Jesus sees us. When you encounter him, you can keep your guard up. You can stay at a distance. You can keep on your mask. You can say things like, Our Father said this. Or the latest theological thing I've heard about is this Jesus. But when you encounter the living God who sees you, you you're invited to put down your mask, to let down your guard, and to let Him see you for who you are in your brokenness, in your self righteousness, in your fear, in your shame, in everything. Because, friends, he already sees us as we are. He sees me. He sees you. But when we put down our guard and let that down, then we begin to have relationship with him. Then we, it's almost like confession. We just agree with what he already knows. So put yourself in that encounter with Jesus. What is it like? What are his merciful eyes looking at? What does he see in you and in me? And thus, what is he forgiving in you and in me? As we confess to him. And lastly, do we take from him the living water? Do we receive that life that is from above, that he gives us? Hmm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the miracle of technology that we can somehow to be together and that by the provision and the miracle of your Holy Trinity, that united together by your spirit, we are together even though we're not physically together. Let these words, these words of Moses, these words of the psalmist, these words of St. Paul and these words of Jesus and the Samaritan woman according to St. John, Let these words be life to us. Heal us. Refresh us with living water. Forgive us for the dead seas we go to, really just ending up poisoning ourselves or pushing ourselves further into brokenness. Instead, we boldly receive and courageously confess and receive your forgiveness and your healing. We love you, O God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have mercy on us and go with us boldly and powerfully in this season of Lent. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.